lucky 13. And we're, we're thrilled that we've lasted this long, first of all. But I think we're lasting this long because you're listening. And thank you. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for liking. Thank you for unsubscribing, resubscribing. Am I saying all that right? We don't want you to unsubscribe, but whatever you do, we're grateful for it. Okay. So you listen a lot. You're learning about the future of baseball. This is episode 13 of Amateur Hour. Danny Wexelman, Darren Sutton. And uh, we're diving deep on this show real quickly. I know you want to keep this tight, but uh, three college players in this one, you wanted to go for the, like, we've never had this many athletes. Why three college athletes? There's a lot going on right now in college baseball. And we had talked to steel Netterville earlier than our other two guests. And I wanted to make sure we got him on the show, but these stories are way too good. Like I'm so excited to share the three stories we have today. They had to be in this episode. So steel Netterville will join us. We love Lane Burroughs as head coach. He's a little bit old fashioned yet modern all at the same time at Louisiana tech. Old Mrs. Wes Burton. I've known him since he was 15, designing shoes for Enrique Hernandez. I, that's so cool. I mean, I, he's such a- I dyke. talked to you on that one, didn't I? You did talk me. I didn't yes. have those notes. You talked me. I was impressed. He's great. And and he's a, he is um, leaning into the character that he is on the mound and the presence that he has. But I think he's a, such a great role model for a lot of guys who are starting to come up in baseball. Kenyon Yovan, I'm biased on the pack after many years of being lucky enough to be around Pac-12 baseball on the network. Um, this guy's journey is great. I mean, you know, as he will share with us in his conversation, if he left something unintended, which teenage boys will do and young men will do, if he left something unintended, he could have lost his life. I mean, blood clots in his arm as an elite All-American pitcher. Now he's an All-American hitter. How does that happen? It's crazy. And he is obviously so understanding of how precious life is. And we didn't really even dive into his mom as well and everything that she's battled in her life. But he came back to Oregon. The draft was shortened. He came back for now a second junior year, technically. And the Ducks are better with him. Baseball is better with him. He's one of the more mature conversations we've had, I think, in a long time. Him and Steele, I think, were both like extremely mature, well thought out conversations and, and like just clutch, clutch guys for both of their programs. Where do you want to start? I want to start with Steele. Okay, but before we start with Steele, let's do this. I want to also take a little bit of the conversation that Hunter Pence had with a very talented right-handed pitcher from Gonzaga, Alec Jacob. He threw a no-hitter. Hunter Pence, of course, my co-host. Every week you can hear that show. Perfect Game College Baseball, ESPNU, Tuesday nights on Sirius XM at 10 o'clock. But let's go with Steele. Our next guest has one of my favorite names that I've ever seen in sports. I'm not going to ask anything about that yet. That question is going to be asked a little bit later. Ask I him, start, Danny. Though. Ask not, him the question. I'm not going to ask yet. I'm not going to ask. There are other things in my priority list that I want to talk to. So COVID junior outfielder, Steele Netterville for Louisiana Tech. As somebody who has been there, done that, granted another year of eligibility, what kind of role do you play on your team this season? I'd say the role I play is I try to be a guy that leads by example since I've been there and kind of done that. This game uh, can move fast for younger guys, and we have a ton of extremely talented younger guys on our team. And so we need them to do what they're capable of and not let their head get in the way of their abilities because they have such high ceilings with their abilities. So I just try to be there to talk to them through different things when they're struggling or when they're doing good. 
And I try to be one of those that they, they can count on, no matter if it's on the field or off the field, whatever they want to do. Why do fans come to watch you guys play? What is it, do you think, that draws people to be a fan of your program, a fan of the guys who are on your team, and want to come and watch you play? Uh, I'd say one of the number one reasons people like to watch us play is because we play hard for nine innings. Um, without, no matter what the score is, at any point of the game, you're going to see hard 90s. You're going to see guys diving, laying out. Every at-bat, we're going to give you a battle. We're going to give you everything we have, no matter if we're down 10, up 10, we're just not going to quit. Incredible stuff, Steele. And the attitude you guys have is kind of the characteristic of Lane, your head coach, Lane Burroughs. So Hunter Pence, who had a great career, had a great major league career, is my co-host. And I can always gauge if Hunter likes a coach and likes his style because Hunter's very modern, right? He's into the mind. He's into taking care of your mental, as you young people like to say. But he also is quite, quite uh, strangely and, and passionately old school, too. So it's this unique combination. And he loved your coach. So understanding who Hunter Pence is and what he's into, um, tell me a little bit about beyond the obvious, right? I mean, obviously, he supports you guys and, you know, provides guidance. You know, even if it's an anecdote, tell me why Lane is a good coach. Tell me why you've grown as a, as a player and a man under him. Um, I would say that Coach Burroughs is a good coach because he has priorities above baseball, such as your family being number one um, and taking care of yourself. He obviously loves to win, as we all do, but he understands that family becomes his first, no matter what the situation is. And But outside of that, he is extremely caring. He knows how to get the best out of you, whether that is getting into you a little bit. He knows how to coach each player. He coaches each player differently in my eyes. Some guys need to kind of get it from them every now and then. And I would say that an example of that is he can chew on me or Taylor Young, for example, and that's motivation. And other guys, he takes a different route to get the best out of them, make sure that he's doing everything he can to help this program succeed by getting the best out of his players. Um, he's incredibly caring. He's by far my favorite head coach I've ever had in any sport ever. And I've had too many to even count. He's uh, he's awesome. I love playing under him. That's a great answer. That's a thoughtful yeah. answer. Um, I, I, I do want to ask you about your name, Steel, because we can all talk <laughs> about the the toughness of the of the name Steel. And you could even say Steel as an announcer myself. Like I would love to be saying Steel every night when I'm announcing the lineup. But there's something much more to it. You shared with us in the pre-interview, and it ties to your mom, Terry. So please give us um, the genesis of your name, Steel. So uh, my mom was a child life specialist and uh, one of the kids that she was uh, taking care of in that time, his name was Steele Hamilton. He has cystic fibrosis. And he, my mom said that she was one of his favorites. The way he treated all the other kids in the hospital, the way he treated the staff was just like touching to her and she loved him so much. So whenever she was pregnant with me, she asked him, um, if that would be okay, if she named her firstborn after him. And he said, uh, absolutely, I would love for you to do that. And so she did. And a little side note to uh, kind of give credibility, credibility to Steele Hamilton. Whenever I was born, he sent me, he was, I want to say he was 10 to 12-ish at the time, sent me cufflinks that were his grandfather's that were passed down to him to me, and I'm not even related to him. My mom tried to return to me and said, absolutely not. Like, I want him to have those, like, 
And that, I mean, I just think that speaks volumes for him. That's amazing, man. Where do those live now? Do those still live, those cufflinks? Oh, yeah. They're in my dad's safe. Yeah. Wow. They don't That's really amazing. Leave there may come a, there may come a special day, a wedding, um, something special when those cufflinks will come into play, huh? Right. That's amazing. That's really what a great cool. answer. Thank you for sharing that with us. We really appreciate that. Thank you. Oh my gosh. That's great. So looking through your schedule, the team has only lost back-to-back games twice. And I think coming from a COVID season into this season and making sure everyone's safe and healthy and just making sure that you guys are, are in tip top shape. I think that's really impressive and it, it, that's really hard to do. Also, I think, and not lose back-to-backs only twice as you head into the rest of your season. What do you take from those two back-to-back losses and you say to yourselves, or, you know, what is the team motto? Like, we will not let this happen again, or, you know, no one can beat us twice again. Is that something you guys think about? Um, I don't even know what two games we lost back-to-back, to be honest with you. I feel okay. like uh... – we just show up to the park every day. We expect to win, and we know that we're going to have a chance to win every game. And like I said, if we're in the seventh inning and we're down by five, like the dugout vibe is we're not losing this game. It's not like a pressure. It's just it's just a feeling we have, an aura in the dugout of, well, looks like we're going to have to score later in the game rather than early. So I feel like that helps a lot. And along with you, who, who are some of the guys who are those rally makers and the guys who are making the noise or, or who's the quiet leader that he's not saying a lot, but you know that what he's, what he's doing in the field is really speaking louder than anything he could say? Um, I would say at the top of that list is Taylor Young. He's also uh, my best friend. He's the definition of a dirt bag. He plays with a chip on his shoulder. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Whenever you need something big, it seems to be he's always there for the team, and that gets us going a lot. Um, I'd say on the mound, it's Jonathan Fincher. Uh, he always competes his butt off no matter how many pitches he's at. He gives us his best effort every single time, and it's proven well through the season. I don't know his exact ERA, but I'm pretty sure it's under two, like 1.62 or something along those lines. But, uh, yeah, so those two guys are big for us. Of course, Hunter Wells and Parker and those guys. But we've also had different guys step up at different mm-hmm. times. Um, this past weekend, it was AD. So I think he's a COVID sophomore, I want to say. And so, uh, yeah, so it's just, I mean, our whole lineup seems to be picking each other up regardless of who's getting it done. So for a podcast, I'll go ahead and give this uh, announcement prior to the question. You are about to uh, hear about something that you won't see on the podcast, but at some point you can go look it up. Use your internet, folks. Uh, And Steele, help me understand who these dudes are. I need to know about these guys here in this picture. Uh, Certainly this would be great if we share any of it on YouTube, but I see a lot of dashing young men there, and I want to know all about the Shreveport Bandits. Okay, so let's start from the left. This is hilarious. Uh, that's Coleman Naren, uh, his dad, Mike Naren. I believe he's a judge. I could have his role wrong. Anyway, he played at ULM for a year, I believe. Uh, the guy in the back, Colton Moore, he's a student here at Louisiana Tech. That's uh, some serious lettuce he has in that head back then. Oh, yeah, he always had a nice flow going. Uh, the middle... The third guy on, from the left is Cameron Parikh. He, uh, he's at Northwestern State playing baseball. 
Harrison Lawrence, he is working now. His uh, wow. dad, Lynn Lawrence, is an attorney in Shreveport. That's me. Uh, <laughs> and then on the right is Xavier Moore. He's playing at Southern University right now. It's a great answer, man. I'll, did you man, love, I'll did give you, you that. that was did you great. love those days? Did you love those days? Did you fall in love with the game then? Was that you falling in love with the game in that picture? I would say those were the good days. The good, simple times. Just go out there and play with, play with your best friends and have fun with it. Yep, those were great times. So I want to go on a car ride with you and Kevin back then. I want to hop in. I want Kevin to be driving your dad. I want to go to one of those games where all those good things were happening. What's being talked about? What are the car rides like? Help me understand that. Okay, let's think about this. Is it a good game or a bad game? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Had to be. It had to be a few good games. You're a college baseball player, so. We all stink sometimes, but I'm sure you didn't stink much, you know? <laughs> um, it was mostly him just trying to think, go back to the days. So the good days, the mostly good days were uh, he was just encouraging, telling me I had a good game. He would ask me what I thought at the plate, what was I thinking on each pitch. Um, I think that started at an early age, and I think that helped me as I developed into an older baseball player, uh, kind of give me – insight on what to think uh, is coming even when we're that young because uh, it helped me succeed at the plate. And then uh, for the bad games, um, it kind of was like, it really depended on what my attitude was. If I had a bad attitude about it, it was more about my attitude. It wasn't really about my performance on the field. It was more about, okay, well, let's get back in the cage. My dad built a cage when I was seven in our yard and had a machine and so uh basically abused that cage <laughs> until i left for college and still when i go home i use it he uh even added lights to it when i got in high school so i could hit when it was dark uh because i'd get home late so yeah he's been extremely supportive and helpful and helping me follow my dreams of playing college baseball he's uh it's been pretty awesome I love that that's your vivid memory. I, I like your dad. I, I love that that's your vivid memory. So dad wasn't living through you. I mean, he, he was building a man. If it was about your attitude and it was a what was me boo-hoo stuff, forget it. You were going to hear about it, but, but he wasn't living through you. That's cool. I think this might be one of my favorite um, interviews, not to... Not to make anyone nervous, but you your said answer that earlier today. I've never said it. I've never <laughs> said it. Seriously, your answers are incredible. And I think the value of a of a parent teaching you about attitude and um, you know, being able to take criticism and, and being able to learn from that, that goes way beyond sports. I think that that's so invaluable. Constructive criticism and attitude checks every day are important in, in every facet of life. So I, I think that that's so important. But the other thing that we have to talk about because Darren didn't bring it up. So now I get to bring it up is as impressive as you are on the field, you are maybe more impressive off of it when it comes to your academics. And it is really hard, I'm sure, to be an athlete and a student athlete. But can you share what you're studying and maybe some aspirations that you have post baseball? career yeah absolutely so i'm majoring in biology focused on pre-med and uh after baseball and school i plan to attend medical school and i'm an aspiring surgeon i would have always dreamt of being an orthopedic surgeon just because i've had uh experiences with them uh, i've had i actually had two knee surgeries when i was 11 and 12 wow. nothing major but it was uh i did go in the or and i was put to sleep and had some cartilage taken out but uh anyways yeah so 
I've absolutely loved that. I had the opportunity to shadow some doctors that are orthopedic surgeons and it was unbelievable. But so yeah, that's uh it's always been a dream of mine. I have two dreams. Steady hands, you must have very steady hands, right? Uh I'd say they're pretty steady. Yeah. Wow. I'm so impressed. So impressed. I mean, I'm to I, I'm to assume the other dream is baseball and not playing <laughs> Carnegie Hall, correct? That is correct. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. I know it's a baseball podcast and we're to assume that it's baseball, but I never like to assume. We, we don't hear on this podcast, by the way, very often, I'm an aspiring surgeon. With no offense to the guys who aren't aspiring surgeons, we just don't hear it very much. Right. Awesome. Yep, that's something that's uh, always struck me as something I wanted to do. So I've pursued that as hard as I could. And hopefully I think I'm in a situation where uh, I think that is a real possibility. Thank you, man. Uh, yeah, Steele, thank you so much. About this, Danny. I'm, I'm massively impressed that, first of all, you printed that out. And second of all, you had like a prop for a question. This is above and beyond, Steele. Like, this is not every week. I promise you that. Well, Steele knows there was just this really cool in whatever the local newspaper Shreveport has. There was just a nice profile on him that I'm sure his mom has shared with everyone, <laughs> where there's a lot of dashing pictures of Steele, including that one. I mean, he looks steel in a lot of the pictures playing. He looks steel like he could not be called Ken in these pictures. So <laughs> um, they, they treated you well. That was a nice that was a nice that was a nice, you know, I guess you call it a profile they did on you. It was very nice. I appreciate that. Let's pause for just a moment. We love this feature. Just one scout focusing, opening up his notebook this week. And let's do it with Brian Sikowski because his insights at all levels, JUCO, Division One. Let's dive in. Here's Sack's notebook on arms heading into the draft from the college level. Going to take a little look at the college class as it pertains to the MLB draft this year. We are still a couple months away from the draft, uh, but a pretty good idea uh, as far as the top goes. We're in the process of updating the draft board now at Perfect Game. You'll see that soon. Uh, but as far as the college class goes, right now it's Jack Leiter at one. Uh, he's going to be number one on our board, probably uh as close to a consensus 1-1 as there is right now, though there is no consensus, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, Vanderbilt right-hander obviously has been fantastic. We don't need to break him down. Everybody knows the deal with him. Beyond him, his teammate Kumar Rocker at Vanderbilt is a guy, uh, maybe the number two college player in the class, depending on who you talk to. Um, the velocity has found its way back up in recent weeks. The breaking ball is obviously as good as ever. That's an extremely talented player who may be in the 1-1 conversation again in a couple months. Beyond the two arms from Vanderbilt, Henry Davis, the catcher at Louisville, has done a fantastic job at boosting himself up into potentially a top 10, maybe top 5 pick type of, uh, type of player. Extremely, extremely offensive, hits the ball as hard as anybody in the country does, and has an absolute cannon behind the plate, can really throw back there. Uh, there's a couple more arms after that. Gunnar Hoagland from Ole Miss, a guy who seems to be like a ready-made number three starter type of guy, uh, maybe a you know a 10 to 15 in, in that sort of range. Ryan Cusick from Wake Forest, the right-hander, I think he's in a similar range. Uh, obviously high-octane heat with a big breaking ball. Ty Madden from Texas, another one, uh, kind of a two-pitch guy, into the mid-90s of the fastball, really good downer slider. Um, a couple other college guys, Sal Frelick, 
uh, from Boston College, the second baseman slash center fielder, depending on where you prefer him. He's one of the few bats who, who has really risen up the college board this spring. He's uh, seemingly a surefire first-rounder right now. Adrian Del Castillo, Jordan Wicks, Colton Kowser, Matt McClain, Christian Franklin, Sam Bachman. Those are all uh, amongst the names that we expect to be in first-round consideration, amongst others uh, as we look towards the draft in a couple months. More soon from the Perfect Game Draft coverage. I have a little bias with this conversation with Wes Burton, who is so much fun to watch out of the bullpen at Ole Miss and who has such an incredible future coming around the corner because I'm hosting my part from Southern California, as Danny knows. And, um, you know, Wes is a Southern Californian. And when we connected was way back then. And where, as he just said a minute ago, the lead story was the amazing creation of his shoes, Wes's custom kicks. And for the Dodgers, good stuff on the PGA Tour for, for, for gear there. But so much more than that now. Wes, did you, did you dream of it when we first started having conversations when, you know, you were evolving as a pitcher? You were always very tall, but coming into your own. Did you dream of moments like this that you're experiencing in Oxford? And, and if you did back then, what did those dreams look like? And what does reality look like in comparison? Absolutely. I mean, it was always the dream to, to play college baseball and, to have the opportunity to play at a, at a historic program like Ole Miss where we're lucky we're packing out the stands here and there's so much energy just in Oxford, um, sitting here in a gorgeous facility, joked about the $20 million M behind me. Um, <laughs> fantastic facility to go to work in every day. Um, but yeah, it, this, is, this is what you dream of as a kid, to have the opportunity to play college baseball at the highest level and go compete week in, week out against the, against the best of college baseball. Help me understand the value, and we can get into the, the X's and O's. That's why people love listening to this podcast. But I'm listening to you now, and I listened to you back then. Help me understand the value, in your mind, of confidence. How much confidence means to being a human being, to being a host of a podcast, to being a pitcher in the SEC, and a student in classes, too. What is the role of confidence in your mind, how it can affect a person? I think it's everything. Confidence is everything. And even more so, sometimes you got to fake it till you make it and act with big body language. I guess my kind of biggest experience is out on the mound where you might be out there and you've got however many fans in the stands. It was a kind of got a taste of it last weekend. We de went down to Starkville and it's, it's a kind of hostile environment rolling in there um, and just warming up in the bullpen. Like they're, they're getting on your case and, kind of flipping you some crap. Um, but it's, you got to kind of fake it till you make it and go out there with big body language and, and ultimately just believe in yourself and know that, that you've done everything to prepare and that you are ready to go when that moment hits and then go out there and own it and make it happen. I think we underplay when we use that phrase, because I use it at 51 years old. I think we underplay um, the concept of fake it till you make it because you can't fake it if you're not prepared. And you can't fake it if you have no skills. And, uh, and then confidence plays in. But I get where you're going. Danny, I, I, I wanted to top that off, that thought. Because yeah. I, say, I say it all the time, but uh, there's a little bit more to it than that. We all know that. Well, yeah, let's dive into that, actually. I, I want to stay with the confidence theme because I, I love to follow you on social media. I think you're fantastic. <laughs> and I saw, I saw Rob Friedman, Pitching Ninja, share a strikeout from your Arkansas game. And that Arkansas game before those strikeouts, you gave up a three run home run. I did. 
Rob did not share that. And you follow up his tweet. Hey, by the way, Arkansas fans, if you're looking for it, here's the home run. You shared the three run home run that you gave up. So I, I feel like the confidence is oozing from you. What's the mentality in doing something like that? Um, I mean, that in particular was kind of just sort of some good natured fun that, um, oftentimes fans here kind of like to poke fun at you when you're kind of down a little bit sometimes, at least coming from opposing fans. And so you can't really troll me if I troll myself. Um, but I, I guess you got to not take yourself too seriously sometimes. And, you know, we all make mistakes. And I went out there, came in the game, and second pitch of the game, they hit over the fence. And then I settled in and did my little shtick and was talking to myself and strutting around a little bit. Um, and so I guess if you're going to give me some attention on social media for that side of things, then I'll poke fun at myself. I don't have too big of an ego to uh, – kind of knock myself down a few pegs and make it clear that I did in fact give up a home run. Well, I love that. I feel like that is not the majority of people, especially at your age, who are willing to kind of be self-deprecating and also kind of be like, hey, it's both sides of the coin. Yeah, I had that great strikeout, but I also, you know, was faulty in that pitch that I gave up. But let's let's go back to the talking on the mound. It, it, you know, everyone has talked about this with you. This is the point of interest. I think um, for a lot of people, I'm obviously always interested in it. So a hundred or die is your yeah. motto. Yeah. I love that. And um, you've got it all over the place um, with your gear and, you know, you're called a psychopath on the mound and you kind of just become this, this different, you know, this Jekyll and Hyde um, mentality. I love that. I, I'm wondering Though, if you can just give us a little insight before you go out to the mound and become that, what is happening in your head as you're watching a game progress? Because I've seen you come in to games in so many different points with, with different scores, whether it's nine to one or one to one. So what's the yeah. mentality going through your mind before you get to the mound? Yeah, so definitely, I mean, when we're, I'm pretty relaxed before the game, just kind of getting ready, getting stretched out, getting warmed up with my teammates. Um, and then we see our starter will go out there and attack the strike zone and uh, hopefully give us a good start out there. And then I kind of start to get a sense of where, where I might fit in uh, as the game progresses. And that's really when I start to kind of lock it in, um, figure out as we're getting closer to my name getting called, start to lock in a little bit more, kind of more intensity, more focus on what, what I'm doing, whether that's my stretching routine in the bullpen or getting up on the bullpen mound and throwing and getting hot. And then it really, once the bullpen door swings open and I take a couple steps and then hit my jog out to the mound is really when like it's game time and it's on. And you kind of mentioned it, it, it can be a little bit more difficult when, you know, you're in a 10 to one game and yeah. it's kind of already decided and it's the seventh inning or the eighth inning and, most of the people in the stands have already kind of lost, lost focus on what's going on, I guess. Um, and there's maybe not quite the same energy, but that's, we, uh, we've got one of our, uh, our quad boards here that we keep sharp, like track of every game on. And one of the things it says on there is B Y O E and it's bring your own energy. Mm. And so those are really the scenarios where, there's not a huge environment to kind of get you going that you can rely on. And 
you have to bring your own energy and make it happen for yourself. And then really in the, in the close games where the, the atmosphere is crazy and it's you, you're fighting pitch after pitch, I guess those are really the easy ones in my eyes because I, it's already there for me. I'm just going out to compete. That's super interesting. Incredible stuff. How much art are you doing now? How much designing are you doing now? When you were a very young man, it was a big part of your life. Are you doing any at all? Um, not any painting. Not any painting. Um, a little bit of just like kind of Photoshop, Illustrator stuff on the computer here and there. Because um, that's kind of easier to fit in. Like I'll bring my laptop on the road. Um, kind of stuff for social media, stuff just for my own pleasure. Um, but nothing nothing professionally those days are uh those days are long gone they're gone or on pause wait a minute now i, I yeah, still haven't gotten my up. pair of shoes <laughs> you that is that is very true you have not gotten your pair of shoes i guess or me we'll, uh, oh we're just up in the up in the orders now i i haven't can't done a grandfather in rules danny he can't grandfather in promises <laughs> i'm still i've still forgotten about the promise i made you darren i can't Oh, I, I guess I can't really blow you off then, can I? No, you can. Absolutely. I want to ask you about the communications you've had with the guys you've designed for. And I think it's unique because they knew you when you were a kid and now you're a man. Um, have you been able to keep in touch? Do you know if guys like Kike Hernandez, who has moved from the Dodgers to the Red Sox, do you know if they follow you? Have you heard from any of these guys? Because you know what? You know as well as I do. Those guys are great resources when you need some kind of private advice. Absolutely. And that was... Um... That was one of the biggest things is I sort of made the transition more from the kind of business world to putting more and more stake in the, in the baseball world was that I had those tremendous resources that I could pick their brains because they had already done what I'm trying to do. And so I had those built-in resources that I could hop on a phone call with or text with and get their take on things. Um, I actually, I had gotten a text message from Ryan Buchter who was, I guess at the time, my second MLB client, um, this is back in like 2014, but he texted me maybe three weeks ago and had sent me a video that he saw on Pitching Ninja and was just like, you're, you're alter ego, man. And we were just, <laughs> we had a short little conversation. Um, but it, it's really cool to still have, have some of those guys that I'm in contact with a little bit. Um, and hopefully, hopefully one day we can be teammates or be competitors and, that will be uh, that'll be interesting for sure. What was that outing like back in February of 2020? You didn't know what the world was going to go through to follow it, but you pitched against Louisville and Louisville's Louisville. You're always working on your brand in a positive way. They are a brand and you know yeah. that. So you they make are. your debut there. You went, you, you pitched into three innings of work. You only gave up one run. Kind of walk me through the feelings, the nerves, the confidence that may not have been there yet. Kind of walk me through that day. Your very first outing in college against Louisville. Yeah, it was, uh, it's still one of my, one of my favorite memories. Um, just going into the weekend, I had, I had thrown the ball really well in inner squads going into the season and then Friday and Saturday kind of played out and wasn't really my, my turn yet. And then Sunday comes and coach Lafferty, our pitching coach came up to me before the game and said, Hey, you're going to be the first guy out of the bullpen today. And that was really when it, it kind of switched on for me. Um, the environment here was electric. There was, probably 10, 11,000 people there. And then game gets going and probably the fifth inning is end up getting up, getting hot. And then just going in and it, 
it almost went dark for me where I was just in kind of a flow state um, where there was supreme focus and there were no distractions, no outside sort of influences. And I think that was really obviously kind of the, the origin of, as Rob Friedman likes to call me, and I, I still don't know how I feel about the nickname of college baseball's favorite psychopath, but I guess that was sort of the origin story. Um, and just, just an opportunity to go compete against a top program year in, year out that we have a connection to with uh, Coach McDonald having coached here. And then just to go compete against their rank number one, number two at the time and really go see that was my first shot to kind of see what I had against top competition and just go out there and compete. And so that was really a fantastic opportunity and one I'm super grateful to have gotten. And definitely as far as confidence goes, um, to go pitch into parts of three innings and not give up a, not give up a hit against one of the top programs year in, year out. That definitely, definitely boosts the confidence. Before I let Danny jump back in, I have my last one for you. Um, how's Sabrina? Because I know your mom is, uh, is your lighthouse. I know she has sacrificed so much for you to be here and did most of the heavy lifting alone. Um, mm -hmm. We always like to check in on mom. How's Sabrina? Mom is fantastic. She's actually in town right now. So uh, she's off playing golf this morning. That is her, uh, <laughs> her hobby store. Um, but she's awesome. It's great to have her. And we brought the, uh, we brought the little pup here this time. So he's, he's in town as well. Um, and it's so great to see them and to spend time with them. Um, as you mentioned, I mean, she has done so much for me. I, I can, never, can never overstate my gratitude um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm so grateful and so lucky to have her and so thankful for everything that she's done for me. I don't, I don't want to ask another, cause that's such a great place to end, but I, I just had one more quick one for you because I feel like the, the more and more we watch baseball evolve, we see guys showing personalities. And so I just kind of wanted to touch on that quickly, yeah. you know, um, Trevor Bauer and, and what he's doing on the mound and, and just, you know, Mookie Betts pumping his chest, just a lot more of that in major league baseball. We see it at the college level, I think, but the attention is more at the major league level. What do you say to kids who are watching you and watch your personality and see how you take care of your business, but also like are yourself, you're so authentic to who you are. What do you say to kids who are watching you, who, who are trying to figure out who they are, who they want to be on the, on the field? I think you touched on it and it's just be, be wholly yourself. Mm -hmm. Whoever that is, if you're Gunnar Hoagland, one of my really good friends on the team who is Mr. Stoic and nothing rattles him. There's no, not a lot of emotion, but he just goes out and competes. And then kind of on the other end of the spectrum, you've got guys like Doug Nikhazy and myself who are more kind of outwardly emotional and expressive on the field. Um, and I think that's a, I think that's a great step that that we're kind of embracing more as a sport, allowing the emotion and the freedom to just go and be yourself and express yourself on the field. Um, I think it's great. And to be a little bit of a champion for it, if you will, um, we'll get more guys talking to themselves on the mound or just just doing whatever they have to do to be successful, I think is awesome. And um, baseball is such a great game and the the more inclusive we can make it and have people just be themselves. I think it's awesome. Awesome. You're amazing, dude. Wes, thank, thank you a million times.
It's 2021 and number 21 is back playing for Oregon and a second year red shirt COVID junior, whatever the title you want to give Kenyon Yovin, we'll give it to him. But welcome to the podcast. First of all, I've been trying to get you on this podcast for weeks, so I'm glad that we could make it happen. And you are just so outstanding right now for Oregon and for college baseball. I think that you're such a great ambassador of the sport as we've watched you play the past few years. When you knew you were coming back to school, what were some of the goals that you set for yourself and for this team? Omaha, that was it. That was the only thing on my mind. Uh, I want, um, just wanted to be able to carry the success that I had from last year to be able to help the team win. I wasn't worried about numbers. I wasn't worried about anything, just trying to go out there and win. I mean, um, you know, I came back last year to, you know, put a stamp on the program to change the culture, as Coach Waz would always say. And it's something that's always been close to my heart. I mean, it's been five years since we've been in playoffs. We haven't been in playoffs since I've been here. And giving an extra chance to be able to come back, I just think it's a great way to, you know, to write the story um, with me, um, Gabe Matthews, and Nico Telache being here for our fifth year. It's been you know, it's been a rough ride for us not being able to make playoffs, you know, trying to come here and change the culture and not being able to succeed. I mean, last year, I think we had a, we were, you know, step in the right direction, but, um, you know, we're just giving a, giving a last chance to be able to come back. I mean, I would have been, I technically would have been able to have another year, but it's, it was Nico and Gabe's last being um, seniors. And so we, I mean, we always talk about, it. it's just something that, you know, we, we work our tails off in the off season to be able to go out there and play and then it get taken away from us last year, not knowing what the future was holding. And then NCAA granting us an extra year of eligibility was amazing and it was an easy decision for us. And so we wanted to come back and change the culture. And um, so far it's going well, but there's still a lot of work for us to do to be able to set it in stone and you know leave our names on the program. It's really cool to hear how passionate you are about this team and talking about your teammates and why this year is so special for you. I will say the numbers really quickly. I'm not going to go through all of them, but you do lead the team in home runs and RBI, nine home runs, 28 RBI right now, second time on the Golden Spikes watch list. And, you know, you're obviously putting yourself out there completely. You're giving yourself so wholly to this team. And, and as Oregon starts to continue to climb the poles, you watch them, you don't, whatever. Postseason is starting to come around the bend. Omaha is, is getting closer and closer and closer. Can you give us a scouting report of, since we know your team so well now, but from your perspective about your team and what makes it so special? I just don't, I haven't played against, played, played with or against a team that, you know, that we just don't give up. There's no chance. I mean, best way to explain it, we went down, we were at USC this last weekend and we went down by one in the seventh inning. And it was just like, oh, we're down by one. So this is just going to be even more fun to come back. It's not even, it's not a big deal. It was easy. We, we knew that it, we knew that we were going to come back and win the game. There wasn't a hesitation. There wasn't a um, like, Oh, let me hold my breath. Cause I don't know. There was no hope. It was just, we knew we were going to be done. And so I just think that's something that coach was is all, just instilled in us in practice. And I mean, it starts in batting practice before the game. I mean, coaches are out there yell, yelling at us to compete, like be better. Every, every ball is thrown at you. You have to be able to, um, you know, compete and get, you know, get your work done and have a sole focus because that'll lead into the game. And that's just something that I think our team does really well is we, we um, make the little things a big thing. 
when we were doing our practice. And so being able to <clears throat> make that the little things amplified and then make it more game like, I think that's where we have the edge on most teams is because, you know, we we have kind of been in those situations all fall, all winter, even without, you know, the in-game adrenaline, stuff like that. So um, we've been prepared for it. So, and the scary thing for me is that I just, you know, we haven't even gotten hot yet in my opinion. And so, and we've talked about it. Um, and so it's, it's fun. It's fun to see our team, you know, come back after a weekend like we had, or like we've had the last, the last two weeks, uh, you know, sweeping Oregon state at home and then coming against USC and we come out yesterday and it's like, everyone's hungry to go work. Everyone wants to get better. You know, the weekends in the past, we came out with two wins and it's, you know, how are we going to dominate today so we can, be better tomorrow to be able to work ourselves into the weekend, you know, cause we got a big opponent coming into our place and we don't want to go out there and, um, you know, be unprepared at home. And so it's just something that coach instilled in us. And it's something that everyone carries, carries with them the whole time. You know, always having a chip on your shoulder when you show up to the field, just ready to work. And so it's just something that's nice about our team that I think is a lot different than all the teams that I've been on since I've been here. And so it's a good change to see. And you climbed up into a tree for a while in March. I mean, the highest branch on a tree um, against UCSB and Oregon State. Um, you know, you had a bunch of hits, you had a bunch of walks, you had a whole bunch of homers. It was incredible. I guess I'd like to know a little bit about you as a hitter during a time like that. What goes right for you? And you can answer me about your mind. You can answer me about your approach. What goes right for you when you climb that far up into a tree and have a couple of weeks like that? It's honestly, it's just going in there confident for me. Um, it's just going in there knowing that, you know, the pitcher that the pitcher that I'm facing is, you know, doesn't have anything to beat me. That's the biggest thing for me. Um, that and being able to go in there and just kind of shut my mind off and just see ball and react. Not as much of an approach because I because um, the approach, you know, you can work on that before the game. You can think about like what your approach will be in the box. But once you get in there, it could, could be completely different than you know, the pitching report that you have researched and stuff to be able to see how they're going to pitch you. It could be completely different. So at this, you just got to be able to go in there, see ball and react. So, um, cause even if they do have a good uh, scouting report on you, you know, they could miss their spots. They could do, you know, they could, you know, switch up the counts on you a little bit. So you got to be able to, you know, adapt and adjust when the time comes. And so, um, during a time like that, it was, just being able to shut my mind off in the box and just see, just, you know, see ball, hit ball as, as an easy way to put it. Um, and so try, me recently trying to work back into that, went through a little slump, um, but just been working through some things and trying to get back into it. So what are some things? Is it mechanical? No, it's just more, uh, it's more mental. Like it's more of the working on a specific approach and practice during batting okay. practice and stuff like that. Um, just trying to stay relaxed. You know, once you get in the middle of the season, you know, you get a little, you know, a little couple bruises, you know, you're a little tired. So you got to focus a little bit more. It's just stuff like that. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary, just getting through it. Um, yeah. So it's not really fair that someone between 18 and 22, 23, that college age, um, you guys are fit. You guys are growing your minds as college students. Everything's going for you. You're not supposed to have blood clots. That's not supposed to happen. I mean, that's yeah. never in the script, right? That's not in the script. So when you went through it, and it for now has shut down who you were as a pitcher, it had to be very scary as a young man, as a human being. 
you're talking about your mental approach as a hitter. How did you get through it emotionally? Were there times that were dark? Were there times where, man, I've lost my entire season. Now it turns out it's blood clots. I've, what, why? Why am I here? Were there, were there dark times? And if so, how did you push through those? Yeah, so, I mean, I would say the darkest time was, you know, I was, we were at Texas Tech. I threw two innings and went up to Coach Dietrich. I was like, I, I can't throw. I can't hold on to the ball. I don't know what's going on. Um, my fingers were white. I had no idea. I mean, it was 90 degrees outside and my hands frozen. And so we had no idea what was going on. Um, next week, the team played St. Mary's and I went in to get a checkup to see what was going on, not knowing that I was going to have to stay overnight anyway, no matter what happened. And I went in there and they're like, yeah, well, you have blood clots uh, covering both of your arteries in your hand. And so we're going to have to keep you overnight and, and put you on our most intense blood thinner. And I was in ICU for 72 hours, um, sitting there with a tube in my groin. It was came up all around my heart through my shoulder and it was pumping through my elbow. And, you know, I had the team, uh, I had the coaches and some of the guys come by and, um, you know, I, I couldn't move. I, they said I had to be a plank for 72 hours. I couldn't move because if I did, I would start bleeding. And so, um, like Gabe Matthews and Spencer Steer came by and like, I chuckled and then it was just started bleeding everywhere. And so it was like emergency and everything. And so those were dark times. I mean, I probably had two hours of sleep in 72 hours, if that, because I couldn't move, couldn't do anything, couldn't get comfortable. And so um, it was just, it wasn't more scared. Like I was going to miss the season because it was the second week. I was like, oh, like, they're like, yeah, you'll be able to throw in a couple weeks, this, this and that. And it didn't get better. And so it was more mentally stressed about not having a definite answer why and what was going on besides just the blood clots. And so trying to get through that was difficult during the season because I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't get an answer out of anyone. We went, like I flew down to LA and saw the number one hand specialist in the country. Um, and then the, honestly, the saving grace for me was I was blessed to be on the top 50 prospect list for MLB and you have to get an MRI on your elbow and your shoulder. And I, um, we asked for MRIs before when I was first going through it and they said, no, you don't need it. You don't need it. And so we went and got an MRI, drove up to Newburgh, Oregon to get it and to send it to MLB. And the MLB doctor uh, called me. He's like, you need to, or called our trainers. Like, you need to get Kenyon on the phone now. And he said he found a golf ball sized blood clot in my shoulder. And so he He's like, yeah, you could have been two months away from losing your arm. You could have died. And so instantly flew. It was the week of the draft, flew to Dallas, um, had surgery at Baylor. And so, I mean, he went, did the checkup, uh, looked at, he's like, yep, you got surgery at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts. We're going to, we're going to get this done. And I was in the, I was in Dallas for five days in the hospital, just blood thinners pumping through me again. And so, and then I came back, flew back, there was the draft and I didn't know how to go about it because no, none of the scouts knew how to go, knew what was going on, do anything. And so that was, that was probably a really tough time because, you know, at that point I was, you know, I was a pretty high prospect going into the year. I was ready to go, um, ready to help the team win because we had a really good staff that year within, you know, with Ryan Nelson, who ended up being a second round pick, um, and we had some good, we had good hitters and Spencer Steer, you know, Gabe Matthews, who's still here. And so we were ready to go because we knew it was all our, all of our draft year. 
and you know we grew up playing together and being around and so it's been being able to try to get through that was difficult um thank god that i was able to find that um in the mri otherwise who know what who knows what would have happened but you know my family and i you know we've been through that with my mom and so it was i kind of knew just be able to keep a clear head knowing that everything's going to be fine and uh with everything that happened we i mean we always say that my family always says you know things happen for a reason and so you know came back knew that i didn't know if i was going to pitch again and so i knew that i needed to focus on hitting and be ready to go and so that was uh that was when my sole focus was to turn into a hitter and just try to help the program as much as possible like i said before you know leave here with a, my name stamped into the program so did you want to follow up no no okay. it's an amazing well, answer that's yeah. an amazing amazing answer and i appreciate you sharing that with us dude you you've been through a lot you and your family have been through a lot yeah yeah what what is uh, i mean i know the obvious takeaway but for you and um what you've been through and what you know your mother has been through what what is the conversations that you guys have? What are the conversations that you guys have about, um, you know, going through this adversity and, and coming out on the other side and stronger? Yeah, it's just, I mean, we always, usually always focus ourselves around sports because we're a sports family. And it's just like, you know, I'm at the field every day, especially being in college. I mean, we're here, we get one off day a week. And so it's, you know, when you step between the line, your mind switches, it's done. You know, whatever, whatever's off the field, you worry about that when you're on the field, that's when you get your work done, you get everything. And so I think that's what helped me. And it's just like, it's still obviously in your mind. So it kind of, it fuels me, you know, just to be able to know like, Hey, I missed this much time. So I got to, I'm going to make up for it. That's going to, I'm going to get done. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. And so at the end of the day, that's what we want to do. Um, and I know, I mean, everyone likes winning, makes everything a little bit better. And so we're, you know, we go out there and, just try to try to focus on get everything done. You know, my mom tries to work as much as she can. My dad, my dad is the same thing. So it's always, you know, trying to pretty much dominate the day as much as possible to be able to work. Cause if you win the day, it makes everything a little bit easier. It's amazing. That's D that's all I had. Incredible. That's incredible stuff, man. Thank you for sharing all that with us. I really appreciate it. It's been a weird development. You've heard it on this podcast, but Hunter Pence, yes, he doesn't play Major League Baseball anymore. He's the co-host of our radio show, Perfect Game College Baseball, every Tuesday. And it's on ESPNU on Sirius XM at 10 o'clock Eastern. All, all around the year, like 52 weeks a year, you're going to hear this thing. But this past week was really exciting because Alec Jacob of Gonzaga recently threw a no-hitter. Hunter Pence got inside of his head on that very incredible day. Following your Twitter, I, I saw the Zags are hot, and I had to drop that because uh, they won the basketball, and, and now you're pumping the no-hitter, first one in, in, in 31 years, 12 punch-outs, uh, absolutely amazing, 124 pitches. But I want I like to get into, like, the mind state and, and something that you said that really uh, – because I, st I study kind of, like, getting into that flow, and you said you didn't want to overthink about it. Uh, you know, and like, I remember hearing something amazing from LeBron in one of his best playoff runs is LeBron said, I felt nothing. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but I felt nothing. So tell me a little bit more about before the game and the middle of the game, like kind of that whole, like that thought process. Yeah. So before the game, um, I like to do a lot of visualization. 
I've been doing that a lot and just like visualizing kind of living my highlight reel a little bit, kind of just like thinking about, you know, my best games and just reliving them in my head, you know, a lot of positive energy. Um, and like similar to what you said about LeBron, like I kind of was, it kind of felt like that. Like it wasn't, it didn't really feel anything as it was going on. It wasn't like, Oh, you know, I have a no hitter. It was like, okay, just, you know, it's another game, just have fun, you know, get every, like trying to get every single guy out and just, doing what I can, like I take a deep breath, relax, just, you know, like not trying to like think about, oh, wow, like I'm throwing a no hitter, you know, because then, you know, it kind of seems like it might get too big for the moment. But yeah, I was just out there trying to enjoy myself and have fun really is what it comes down to. Alec, I think that's absolutely amazing. And I really appreciate you saying that. Uh, I hope that you continue to do that because sometimes people will forget about like the visualization before getting into that feeling. And then, like like you said, not letting the moment be too big, just like, let's have fun, let's compete. Uh, another thing I want to ask about, because we just had uh, two no-hitters in the major leagues and uh, one of them, Caratini caught a no-hitter with the Cubs and then caught a no-hitter with Musgrove. And to me, I, I think it's really impactful to talk about the catcher-pitcher relationship was there much shaking going on what's your relationship with the catcher how was the feel of that battery as it was going on uh trusting pitch by pitch talk to me a little bit about that relate your relationship with your catcher and, and how fun that was to do together oh yeah absolutely i mean we have a alec um, real quick really i'm gonna i'm gonna interrupt you please tell us his name so we can love on his name i'm yeah. I, I, I love the question please tell us his name and then answer that question yeah I'm, I tyler have... rando All yeah, right. go tyler for rando, it starting catcher um, yeah, we have a lot of great chemistry and he was, uh, you know, after every out, he's, you know, he's giving me fist pumps out there trying to like, you know, get me excited, trying to keep me like, Hey, like good pitch, like really like motivating me and stuff. And like after every inning, he was like, Hey, like, do you need anything to drink? You know, he's just like doing everything he can to like keep me in my zone, I guess. And no, I didn't shake one time all game, all 124 pitches didn't shake once. I mean, he caught an incredible game. He took, he stole a lot of pitches for me. I mean, it was, it was incredible back there. And we just, you know, we kept working. He worked, he worked his ass off for me back there. And I can't really ask for much more. I mean, it was awesome that I could do it with him. You know, he's just as much part of the battery as I am. So yeah, it was really cool. So you mentioned this in the open and by the way, that was a really fun collection of athletes, but I do want to lift up uh, Kenyon's mom, Carrie who defeated cancer and beat it and had a, a rare form of skin cancer, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So before we say goodbye and wrap this podcast, let's, uh, let's raise a torch to her and what she has accomplished. And, you know, it was a challenge for him and important to him to talk about it with us. We just weren't able to dive deep in our conversation. I think the really special part is that whenever we come across young athletes who have faced adversity like that in their lives, it, it not only brings them closer to their family, but it just gives them a different kind of perspective on the game and life. And we're able to, he's a, allowing us to share that story, which is really special, but I think it just defines him in so many different ways and everything that she had been through during her battle. And I, I always appreciate when athletes share those stories. And I just think that it kind of helps us tell the whole picture, right? The, the, every little piece of their lives, it just fills in so many different things. And I was so grateful that he took some time to share that with us. And you can tell how proud he is and how close he is with his mom. And, and 
Um, I, I think too, Darren, the other thing I really liked um, was the story from Steele about his namesake and a, a young man that his mom had worked with who has cystic fibrosis and that's his namesake. And he has cufflinks from that young man and they're, you know, they kind of just inspires them. They've had these, these things happen in their lives that make them who they are, but they just, they give so much to, to college baseball and they're so special. And I'm glad we got to share their story. He's going to wear those cufflinks on his wedding day. I, I enjoyed that uh, we, we kind of brought that out. Um, by the way, his mom, Kenyon's mom, is also um, in the mental health field and is, you know, dealing with those that are uh, working through that area, dealing with new moms, dealing with those that are struggling with addiction. So Steele's mom, Kenyon's mom, very strong women. Um, and, and finally, let's just stick with the, the mom's theme because we're, we're edging closer, ever so closer to Mother's Day. i Briefly mentioned Wes's mom, Sabrina, but she's a real estate agent. She's a lawyer. She raised him alone a majority of the time. And Wes's mom is uh, is all kinds of strong, too. I actually have been knowing that for about six years now. Moms never get enough shout outs, right? Like, it's always <laughs> the dads. It's like, who's the person who inspires you? It was my dad. My dad did this. My dad did that. But we all know it's the moms who are driving you around, packing your snacks, letting you have the sleepovers, getting all the guys together, making sure that you're having the time of your life. We never give them enough credit. This one is for sure for the moms and what like very special moms that we were able to highlight on the show this week. Yeah, and I go personal very rarely on this show, but when your wife was an incredible single mom for many years and raised two incredible daughters, um, yeah, I'm never shy about lifting up the strength of a woman, especially raising young men. God bless these women that are raising young men, hard enough to raise young ladies, but uh, that's a good place to end this podcast. Kudos to the moms out there. Uh, your athletes, we were proud to talk to them, and uh, this has been fun. So people are, they're not supposed to unsubscribe? Don't unsubscribe, but definitely subscribe. Leave a review. Tell us what you think, and give us five stars, not four, five. What if they think it sucks, though? Five stars. Oh, <laughs> just leave us a review. Just give us All a right. five star. <laughs> amateur hour amateur hour we'll, we'll be back with episode 14 soon <laughs> <laughs>